Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. My name is James Goodlett. I am one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in beautiful downtown LaGrange, Georgia. And I am joined in studio this week by my good friend, the Reverend Dr. Adam Roberts. Adam. Hello, my friend. I tell you what, this is a big day. Yeah? It is a big day. Hmm. Braves, Braves related. Uh, negative. <laughs> it is your birthday. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Birthdays are weird, huh? I think they are. Multiple years ago. Oh, I sniffed. A, a multiple of seven, I believe. <laughs> oh, it is a multiple of seven. Yes. Seven so, squared. Super holy year. Start, that's right. You have lived... Yeah, that's right. It's I'm coming seven up times on, seven. Coming up on Jubilee. Yeah, look at you. Yeah. This is this is your perfect day. Yeah, Google that. Old Testament, everybody. And so as a gift from Lewis and Broad Media, Adam was the lovely recipient of some... I'm, I'm, uh, this is so good. Many old Tangelos or Tangelos, however you choose to pronounce it. You know, I guess it should be Tangelo. But is I've it Tangelo? I've never I, said it that way. But. I'm not sure if it's if where the accent would go, if it's on the gel or the tan. <laughs> Tangelos or Tangelos. I don't know. But you've got a, a pack. I, I, I've deprived you of one, though. I, well, it's I good, it's good to yet. share. And our unofficial official sponsor of the Lewis and Broad Catechesis podcast, Sour Patch Kids. Yes, which I didn't even know I liked and would pass up at every opportunity in the past. Catechesis has taught me that this is, in fact, my very favorite candy, perhaps. They are delicious. They are delicious. They, so sour, yet so sweet. I, they've got a little bit of everything. <laughs> and and you can't complain about I it. I think they'd be good with a little sprinkle of tahine. The salty Mexican condiment of lime and chili, tahini. Everybody, maybe you're on. Maybe you're <laughs> onto something there. Yeah, we'll I try mean, that later. Yeah, if I have any left? Yeah, Wait, eat we, them all now. We are also joined in studio today by Wilson the dog. Hey, buddy. Wilson is sitting here. He is the most relaxed, chill black lab I've I've ever known. He's unbelievable, and. Oh, by the way, Aunt Rhonda, a.k.a. Layton, is in the house. And we have to continue with our tradition, <laughs> our new tradition of our weekly yeah. catechesis segment we lovingly call Ask Layton. Ask Layton. I think she. this is building steam. I can tell that. I feel it. I feel like she needs a little sound effect, though, or like a little song, you know, she like does. for this segment. Like, if we write an original tune, we can use it, right? That's right. So, yeah. That's right. Maybe we will. So, ask Layton. Yes, Layton. Would you rather live anywhere in the world, but you have to move every year, or never move, but you got to live within five miles of where you were born? Of where you were born? Where you were born. Oh, you, so, you can't choose. No, the, five miles of where you were born. 
Now, metaphorical five miles, but near where you were born. What is the city of your birth? Here. LaGrange. Born in LaGrange. So I would move. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, I felt like this one put her on the spot a little, but there's no hesitation. Can I just say that the city of LaGrange is a lovely community (laughs) in which to live, work, and play? LaGrange, Chamber of Commerce. I mean, you catechesis. But there is something to be said for when you were born here, raised here, and you want to. You want to spread your wings and fly a little bit, don't you? Leighton, why are you going to do LaGrange that way? I mean, the way she said it, it was just like (laughs) side move. Yeah, so I ask these, a lot of these are ones that I've asked students at LaGrange College before, and uh, I've got a class with 27 in it right now, and I think, I, I asked them this one, I think 25 people said they would move, so it is overwhelmingly the majority response, uh, amongst young people anyway. Uh, it's interesting to me because I had grandparents who had a dream that all of us would stay right there in their community and work in my granddad's business and all this, and nobody stayed yeah. Uh, so my grandma said she was proud of our educations, but she didn't know if she would have been for that if she knew we were all going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> the only so. the only thing about and I would definitely go with the the moving, but that is a lot of change. It's a lot of change. I think that's only appealing to somebody who's never really moved, which is interesting because our theme for the week this look Sunday. What he, look what he did. That was so good. Hope in the midst of change that is our theme we are in the middle of lent uh this week is the third sunday in lent and our worship series here at first Press has been hope in the midst of and we have covered thus far hope in the midst of the wilderness and that was a uh that was a powerful powerful week mainly because i couldn't preach i had covid Oh, right, right, right. But Ronnie Chassain, a, a person in our community, told an amazing story about hope in the midst of the wilderness. Also, um, this last week, hope in the midst of the real, talking about what it means to sense the hope of God in the midst of the everyday. This week, it's hope in the midst of change. And so when we were thinking about what we wanted to do with that, we were thinking, okay, what what is this scripture where there is some significant change, some significant transformation. And we wound up on a scripture where I, I really do believe um, there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's yeah, some stuff going on here. It is very dramatic. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, a.k.a. the conversion or the transformation or the changing of Saul, who eventually has his own name changed from Saul to Paul. So, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 20. Acts is one of my, I, I just, I love this, this book. And you've got change happening in the church, in the early church. You've got this, this shift that's about to occur from the gospel being preached to the Jews uh, centered in Jerusalem, and it's making its way out into the ends of the earth and to the Gentile population. So we're starting to see that shift happen. And when we arrive at chapter 9, we are immediately greeted by this, this word, 
Meanwhile, mm. meanwhile, good good Saul, storytelling action. Yeah. Meanwhile, Saul. In other words, this is a segue from a, a previous chapter uh, about the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch, and then we move towards. Saul. Meanwhile, Saul. And what is he doing? And this verb, you and I talked about it in pre-production, this verb. Yeah, look he's, at that. He's know. not threatening and murdering the disciples of the Lord. He is breathing threats and murder Yeah, against the disciples There's of the There's <clears throat> some sort of particular evil, I think, implied in that. And, and true hatred. Yeah, there's a hatred implied in that. The last time we heard from Saul, by the way, he was approving of the killing of the murder of Stephen, the first martyr of the faith, according to the scriptures. So he's still doing that same thing. He's approving of it. He's breathing threats and murder. He's He represents, he personifies evil. He is the enemy of the early church, of the early disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest and, and asks for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if any were found who belonged to the way, a.k.a. the early church, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I love it. It also says they could be men or women. Hmm. Didn't matter. And the access to the high priest is an interesting detail there. I mean, he's got lines to significant power, uh, obviously. There is a counter move going on against, directly against this movement of the way. And then it happens. He's on the Damascus Road. And suddenly a, a light from heaven flashes around him and he falls to the ground. And it's just so, this whole conversation is fascinating to me. First of all, the first question Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? <laughs> Not the church. No. Or why do you persecute my people? But why do you why do you persecute me? Me. It's just I, I, I it's easy to again to gloss over these little details of scripture, but that that to me jumps out. Yeah, I think uh Christian believers through until today can take a lot of comfort in that, really. There's a way to read that, that Jesus identifies completely with the church, uh, with believing people. Yeah, powerful. It's fascinating to me, and Jesus reemphasizes it again. Uh, Saul asks him, who are you, Lord? And, and, and Jesus replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. <laughs> if you didn't hear it the first time. Yeah, exactly. Get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. You talked a little bit about verse 7. Yeah, he's got, Saul's got traveling companions. It says they stood there speechless. They heard the sound. They didn't see anyone. Uh, you know they were beyond speechless. Yeah, I mean, just stunning. So now, you know, wh what do you do <laughs> after that? So they lead him by the hand, and they bring him to Damascus. And, and what happens in verse 9? What do we see immediately? Yeah, well, Saul loses his vision in response to this, and I guess the thing I have heard about this over the years is the idea that 
whatever this vision was that Saul had, it was so bright, so overwhelming that it overwhelms his eyesight. It damages him physically. It leaves him blind and in darkness and particularly for three days is the time period. And that should ring all kinds of bells for people at that time following Jesus and people today following Jesus. Yeah, that's not that's not coincidental. It does not feel it to me. And, and you know, so three days, what, what comes to mind with three days? Death and resurrection. That, Saul is dying to this old self yeah, and Saul, whatever emerges. Saul, that's right. Saul is dead at this point. That's exactly right. He doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. He's uh, Everything about this should symbolize to us this is... This is a death. Exactly. Now, we then zoom in, in verse number 10. We zoom to a disciple who's close by in Damascus, because that's where Saul had been brought, named Ananias. Now, the Lord says to Ananias, in a vision, Ananias, and he answers in like classic, here I am, Lord. You know, that old hymn, it's like, which is a, 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 um, a reference to, gosh, I mean, so many people are called, and they, they say this, Samuel, 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 here I am, Lord, you know, so there, this is, that is language of response to a call. Yeah, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Mary. And... And so what what usually follows that language of here I am is something, some sort of ask that they would not normally do if it weren't for the Lord commanding them to do so. Yes, and there usually is a pattern of call and then uh, resistance by the called. Even if initially there's a here I am, there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some but... You know, yeah, and we get that right. We so do. there it is. Yeah, we we in a couple of verses. So so the Lord says, uh, so I need you to go uh, to the street, and um, I want you to find Saul. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> Place your hands on him, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that he can regain his sight. I mean, I can hear An- Ananias first of all saying, yeah. Yeah, I have heard about this man. Yeah, uh, I know who you're talking about. I know what he's done. Yeah, I'm not. I knew. He even knows, look at that in verse 14. He even knows he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Yeah, it, Ananias had to know. I mean, I can imagine that Ananias may have, he may not just been holed up somewhere, like in his house or wherever. He was hiding. It feels like hiding, for sure. Yeah. And so the Lord says to him, uh, you know that person you're hiding from? <laughs> I'm going to need you to go lay your hands on him so he can regain his sight. To what end, Lord? Why, why, wait, so you can't see? Great. Right. That's fantastic. Exactly what the response should be. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm going to need you to go heal him. Because never let it be said that God does not understand or enjoy irony. Well, that's and you talked about that with verse 15. My goodness. It's almost, you know, until reading it uh, for this podcast, I don't think I'd ever thought about a, I don't know, almost a punitive element in this. Maybe maybe it's not. I'm not sold that that's correct at all. But at least a deeply ironic thing that that Paul's mission is going to be to those outside the Jewish faith. It's going to be to the Gentiles. 
and uh, Paul's going to suffer. It is prophesied by the Lord right there in I will, verse 16. Yeah. yeah. He, I, will, I love that it says, I myself, that emphasis, I myself will show him how he must, how much, rather, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In other words, at least my reading into it is this, he has caused much suffering to my people. Well, guess what? It's his turn. Yeah, I mean, that, it's, that's it, I think. I don't know how else you could really read it. That's the most plain, direct reading of it. But the interesting thing about it is that that suffering, it, it takes on a different form as his ministry begins to, to take off. It's, it's redemptive, which I think is the idea, we hope, behind suffering for the cause of the faith, is that uh, even if there is suffering, it doesn't lessen the suffering, but the suffering is not purposeless. Uh, there's, a, there's a redemptive reason for the suffering. Now, I guess we do have to be careful with that language, though, right? Like, how many times have you heard this idea that, well, X person is suffering, but it's part of God's will, or this happened in order because uh, to fulfill some sort of plan that God has. Yeah, yeah, especially in response to uh, tragedy that we can't fathom or understand. That seems to be one that people go to sometimes, and. I, I would think, yes, not really. We're not trying to think of it in that way. Think of it in terms of somebody who is specifically choosing to act in such a way that they are suffering for a specific cause. So think about the civil rights uh, protesters and leaders in the U.S. in the 1960s, John Lewis, King. Uh, again, uh, n- nothing enjoyable about that suffering, but it was for a reason, and it brought about change. So Ananias goes and, and, and does what the Lord asks, enters the house, lays his hands on Saul, and immediately something dermatological happens <laughs> to his eyes. We, I don't know if his there's eyes a, had been carterized, you know. Yeah, you know, you there's, know. A, there's a physicality there, to it. But, but it's something, I love that, I love that the, the scripture says, Again, immediately, it didn't say, and immediately scales fell from his eyes. Like, the person who was writing this was clearly like, I I don't know how to describe this. We don't know what it was. It was different. Something like scales. So, I'm going to go with something like scales, which is very serpentine and and, and almost like this evil uh, that had befallen him or his evil ways that that had guided his, his life were now, had fallen from his eyes and he saw the world in a completely different way which i think happens to animals that shed reptiles that shed even off of their eyes i think now i am no uh reptile expert but i believe that's the case so really it does represent growth change transformation new new life well and 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 again resurrection resurrection yeah and he gets up and is baptized and eats and regains his strength. I don't want to uh, forget about verse 20 either. I, originally, when we chose this text, we only went through 19, but verse 20 to me is, is fascinating. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, 
And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. Okay, so let's get this straight. He spent his whole life, dedicated his life to the persecution, breathing threats and murder against these disciples on behalf of, or as a representative of, the high priest, the powers and principalities of the folks in that, in that time and place of his, of his faith. And all of a sudden, he does an about-face. He changes. His change, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the key thing, yeah. How difficult must that have been for him? I mean, I can imagine he, he was a very proud person. To get up and basically say, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm so glad you said that because that's the phrase I kept coming back to in my mind is that this is, this is saying I was wrong. And not just I was wrong a little bit. I mean, I was wrong and people died. I was wrong and, and, and we murdered people for this. We, we went as wrong as we possibly could go in terms of understanding this. And that is metanoia. I mean, that's a, it's a Greek word for repentance, to, to turn, to change one's thought and mind, uh, and to go in a different direction. Well, this is metanoia in the most true sense, uh, spiritual complete change. Um, and just getting his, getting his uh, foot in the door with Christian groups going forward. I mean, you know, it's going to be a while building up reputation, I think, given, given where he had been. And what we don't read in, the, in this section, uh, it comes right after it, though, which is one of my favorite little, little it's like Indiana Jones or something like that, is um, not only does his saying this, is saying, well, I was wrong, and he, he has to build up some sort of trust with the disciples, but then the Jews plot to kill him. Of course. They're like, what? And they go after him. And so the disciples, who must have believed him all of a sudden, take him by night and take him to the wall <laughs> and lower him via basket. Yeah. So he's, to he's, escape. he's, uh, he's on a rapid learning plan here. I mean, he's really learning about God's power, about vulnerability, because he's become instantly, immediately vulnerable, uh, protection and escape uh, by the um, thinnest of baskets. <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's the, uh, bringing it back to the theme for the week then, where's the hope in this story? The ho- what does that look like? What does that hope look like in the midst of change? How does this story preach for that? What do you think? No matter how big the change has to be, it can happen. Uh, no matter how far gone you may think you are or how convinced you've been that you've been doing exactly right because historically there are few people more dangerous than those who are convinced, absolutely convinced, that they know who to persecute on behalf of God. Those people historically are very dangerous. So even if we find ourselves in that boat and we have been doing what we believed with our whole heart God wanted and if it hurts people, it hurts people, uh, even then we can we can be changed. Even then we can uh, find God still wanting to use us uh, and, and to bring about 
the kingdom. So lots of hope there. And I, I find hope in Ananias. You know, it's easy to center the interpretation of the scripture, of the story, uh, vis-a-vis Saul, soon to be called Paul. But Ananias is willing to go out on a limb for him. Way out. And say, look, there is a huge change that's about to take place in your life. But I'm here with you, and I'm going to lay hands on you. I don't know where it's going, but I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to walk beside you, and you're going to see things in a completely different light. And, and I do think there's something to be said for faith communities and, and our, our, the reason that we exist, yes, is to enjoy God and glorify God and worship God, but it's also to walk beside one another in that. Yeah, to risk in that, you know, and to, to be present with somebody no matter the, the level of, of trespass. And hopefully we wouldn't have to, in our lives, encounter somebody who has done the things Paul did, but there are going to be plenty of opportunities. Something that just came to mind for me immediately is a, a clergy friend of mine who uh, told me that uh, a, a musician in in the worship at his church, uh, they have a, a band style kind of thing, a contemporary modern style, and that there's a guy in the band who's a great musician and singer, loves to sing uh, praise and worship music, and also has addiction problems and has had addiction problems for Many, many, many years in and out of treatment, in and out of recovery. And he told me, he said, you know, another clergy friend of mine said, you know, that's John making up a name up there. Don't you know how he is and what he's done? And you let him be a leader in your church? And my friend, John's pastor said, yeah, I absolutely know. And he may have something on him or in his system right now for all I know. And he's still here, and he's still praising God, and he still has the opportunity to be here amongst us in that way. I found that to be very, very powerful and open to vulnerability and embracing of the the gospel message. So that's where we find it, y'all. Where do you find it? We'd love to hear from you on our social media, Loose and Broad, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can even answer the would you rather the question for Leighton. (laughs) We'd love that. But We've got about 500 more where that one came from. Ooh, we would take suggestions, too, I think. Absolutely. Engage <laughs> us. Let us know what you think. Listen to us. We're glad to have y'all. Uh, I was talking to somebody just recently who said they were working in the yard or working out, one or the other. Listen to us. Ah, that makes me happy. I know. And they were like, I was a little frustrated because... Then all of a sudden, at the end, we had a little glitchiness. Oh, that's the one that cut out. Yeah, it yeah, cut yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, thanks for listening. We'll get it worked <laughs> out. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. And um, remember who and whose you are. We look forward to being with y'all again next week. My name is James Goodlett. Adam Roberts. And for Leighton Parker and Wilson the Dog, we say see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Follow along on our social media and our websites at fpclagrange.org and lewisandbroad.org. Until next week.